This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com, joined, as always, by Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton. And, Bruce, we missed you because we, we didn't didn't have you on the show when we talked about the LVI, um, which is okay because it's just sort of a promotional thing. But uh, um, we missed you all the same. I missed you guys, too. That's I was hurt. <laughs> I didn't even get a phone call. <laughs> I didn't even get asked to miss. No, no. I didn't even get offered a cheap excuse. I was just left out. I was like the kid who didn't get called to play. They were they were playing three-on-three basketball, and I was the seventh guy. Bad memories. He's just bringing back all these horrible, horrible times of there's 19 kids to play baseball, and I got to be the ump. <laughs> oh, then you could eject them all. Pat, how's it going? It's going all right. I want to um, throw a um, condolences out. Um, it seems like every year we lose good people in rugby, but recently in my area, um, the head coach of Missouri Science and Technology, Shane Byrne, passed away un- unexpectedly in his early 30s. Um, so thoughts and prayers go out to the Missouri S&T family. We'll be putting up um, a story. It'll probably be out by the time this comes out, um, but a way to, to, to give back to help support his uh, young family, his wife and his daughter left behind. But thoughts and prayers go out to them. Um, and uh, other than that, uh I'm doing okay. Certainly. Thoughts and prayers uh, from us also. Well, we do have a show. Uh, some, I guess, less important things to talk about. Uh, talking a little bit about the revitalization of the season after the winter break. We'll be right back on Rugger Matrix America. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Rugger Matrix America and RugbyMag.com. And we all know it takes grit and determination just to get to the edge of a rugby pitch. And it takes even more courage drive and passion to lock arms with your teammates and rise to the challenge and play in a game at Lauer Family Wines. They know that too. They have a passion for rugby and a passion for wine and that passion collides in their Hooker Wines line from Napa Valley. Steeped in the tradition, teamwork and heroism of the game and their drive inspires them to create wines that honor those who chase their passions in rugby and elsewhere in life. Get in the match and buy Hooker Wines online at hookerwines.com. And we are back here on Rugger Matrix America, and this is Alex Goff with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. Uh, teams are back playing. We're excited about that. And we saw some interesting things go on on the college scene. And, Pat, I know you you looked into this a little bit. I did as well. BYU, uh, the defending D1A champions, uh, lost a bunch of players but still looked pretty good on their uh, short trip to California, beating San Diego State uh, by about 20 and then uh, beating UCLA by a lot more than that. Uh, in the end, not really. That's not really a surprise. We we figure that BYU is going to be strong and going to be stronger than those two teams. Yeah, I think though you're a little bit surprised by the score uh, against San Diego State, um, only 20 points uh, between them. But it was a Friday night game in San Diego. Uh, BYU's you know lost their 9-10 um, combination they've had for a million years, and San Diego State those guys. I mean they they all are built like hookers, but they um, they hit hard, they play hard, and they're tough kids. So um, there's some good players on that team, Clay Conrad, and um, just a bunch of guys. So I you know 
hats off to SDSU, uh, and I'm sure that there was a little bit of kind of uh, growing pain or uh, you know struggling to get some fluidity when you when you introduce a brand new nine ten combo, as well as some other guys sprinkled throughout the lineup too for BYU, and then they go turn around, go to Los Angeles, and just pummel UCLA, which is a pretty good team. Um, so I think that they showed that they do still have a lot of guys. Like they still got Ray Forrester, Saki Kofi. I mean, they still got a number, a number of really good players. So um, it's, now, now the it's big, early the big days. news, the big news for me on this was that Paul Lasique is going to be playing for them again. So he's the center, uh, a really, really good center, possibly the you know one of the best in the country. Uh, went on to play football for BYU. He's on scholarship for BYU football, but he is allowed to play rugby in the spring, and they will be using him not for every game, but they will be using him. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's great news for BYU. Great news for rugby. I don't think Paul's an NFL um, kind of guy, but y'all would have said the same thing probably about Nate Ebner <laughs> last year. Right. I was wrong. So, uh, but no, the, the, the longer he's playing rugby, the better. And um, him and Seki Kofi, I tell you, with Zach Mizell um, being out for um, looks like the foreseeable next couple of months, if not the whole spring, uh, that's that's definitely the best one-two punch in in terms of midfield in the entire country. Yeah, it's a shame on on Mizell's injury. Now, the the other uh, big name team that that got moving. Well, there are a couple of them. Uh, briefly, I'll mention uh, Central Washington. Um, really, uh, just uh, looked very good uh, a, a short time ago against Oregon State, who then this past week um, won seventy six to nothing over Washington State. So you sort of see how that that's going there. That 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 pecking order is going. But of course, Cal. Now, Cal, we know, is a lot better team this year than they were last year simply because they were so young last year. A lot of those players are just a year older, and they're back in a championship, some kind, you know, playing for some kind of championship. They go and play Stanford, which is a team that is, you got to say, is is struggling right now and they score 95 points by halftime and win 176 to nothing um i don't know if you if guys if you're if you're stanford's coach if you're matt sherman do you want to play that game well i don't think you want to go down in history as the stanford coach that uh discontinued the scrum axe game because he was afraid of how bad he was going to get beat so i don't know uh but to say that they're struggling is putting it lightly i mean they've already lost to san jose state which was d2 last year moved up to d1 AA this year probably not that big of a loss but then you they lost to an inscro team in cal maritime too um and they're losing by multiple scores every time they step out on the field um stanford's not just struggling they're they're bad uh and you know i thought I was actually joking with Jack Clark uh, at the UCLA tournament a little while ago that, you know, we're talking about the D1A and what does it mean to be D1A and why does D1A even exist if teams like Baylor would be in it? I was like, you'd put 222 points on Baylor, it'd be a Cumberland College versus Georgia Tech right. sort of, you know, matchup. And uh, that was just Baylor I was thinking of, let alone Stanford, a team that was in the Sweet 16 at D1AA a couple years ago, and they put 176 on them. So, uh, I, <laughs> you could certainly argue if you wanted uh, that this was just another prime example of why the heck do we have D1A um, but yeah anyways so yeah I don't know if I would want to be the Stanford coach that, uh, that, that it would is known as the one who was too afraid to play Cal well that was done uh, some years ago uh, 
essentially because they were uh, uh, they knew they were going to get crushed and and it wasn't any 176 points. I think that you learn a little bit about the fact that that. Stanford Rugby has a wonderful field, a great facility, has money behind it. Money isn't everything. You got to have athletes, and you got to have rugby players. Is this the worst score you've ever seen, Alex and Bruce? Have you ever seen anyone more lopsided than this? I don't think so. Uh, I think 176 is the highest I've seen. I, I, I there was a, a couple here in the uh, 160s in some uh, D3 games in. New York, but no, and 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 that was against newer clubs like D three team playing a newer club that now is relatively well established. So no, it it takes some doing. I mean, I uh, the the biggest the biggest score I I've ever seen in, in person on the sidelines is is one hundred sixteen to nothing, and that was against a team that was so new to rugby that they were lining up an extra five meters behind the the offside line um, and the biggest the biggest win I've ever uh, coached for was 95 nothing and you know 94 nothing actually because we only kicked two conversions but um, you know it takes an awful lot of work to to score that much because somebody's gonna make a tackle you know, somebody's and somebody's going to make a mistake on your side. So, so what that tells me is that the Cal guys didn't make any mistakes. Well, I'm awfully bad at math, but I, if I did my math correctly, that's a converted try like every three minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. bananas. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it, it, I, I, don't, I don't know that. Look, I, I'm not a big fan of running scores up, so. How do you stop it, though? I mean, the, I the clock is running. You can only sub so many guys. You, I mean, what are you going to do? Not, I mean, you just pick and go and tackle yourself. How do you not run the score up in rugby? It, it's. I think it's. It's a problem when you get to the point that it's obviously. I mean, it, it's a complete runaway. It's whoever next touches the ball is going to score. But then, if you put, if you sub in your entire team, you you sub in your entire team and then tell those kids who don't get a chance to to play all that much for the the first side uh and by the way don't play very hard i'm that's gonna be tough uh but but you know on on the college thing broader than that obviously cal is good obviously byu is good i don't think that's changed um the the injury to zach mizell at arkansas state affects them certainly and hurts them Uh, life university remains uh good and and in fact Pat they won ninety nine to three over Florida State. They won ninety nine to three over Florida State. Um, and I'll go out on the limb and say Florida State's probably seventy points better than uh, Stanford. So, um, yeah, I guess life was running running some points up too. Well, they, I, those four. Is there anybody other than those four? St. Mary's. Uh, St. Mary's has been good, man. They've been pounding. You know, they pounded Ambach. They pounded the San Diego Old Aztecs. They pounded Olympic Club this last week. And I don't know. It was fifty-three to eleven. I don't know what Olympic Club team was on the field. I don't know if Mike McDonald and Will Johnson and Matt Crawford and Keegan Engelbrecht and Dustin Munn were on the field. Um, but uh, so I don't. I don't know what's going on with Olympic Club. But Olympic Club had a good roster last year, and they didn't do so hot in the, the North Cal League too. So I don't know what's going on there. But they. I mean, and they beat. Um, 
uh, got another D1 AA opponent whose name is slipping out of my mind right now, like 80-something, by 80-some-odd points uh, last week. Uh, St. Mary's is good. Um, do I think that they're uh, cut below uh, those four teams you just mentioned? Yes. But they're good. Um, and, I mean, they did beat Cal last year, so uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they they could play. Well, St. St. Mary's uh... – you know they do. They they've beaten uh, the old Aztecs. They beat Ombac. Uh, they lost to Golden Gate. They beat Olympic Club, Chico State, and Diablo Gales. Uh, St. Mary's has done this before. They've started like they're on fire. Uh, St. Mary's can in any week beat anyone, and I mean they can beat anyone. But the problem with St. Mary's is can they make it through the season? Maybe it's the the, the way they play, maybe it's the kind of players they have, but they've often run into uh, injury problems, and um, you know they, the last couple of years really big injury problems. Uh, I'm not saying that they would run into that again this year, but the, I, I think the issue is the depth and and the physical strength of St. Mary's compared to BYU, Cal, Life in Arkansas State. Can they go through that slog? of that season, which includes playing Cal in the middle of April and, uh, and central Washington a week before, can they make that through, make it through there without huge injuries? Well, I think that St. Mary's actually has a relatively weak schedule. When you look at a lot of the other team schedules in the country, I think that they really only have two really tough games. Um, Cal Poly is not going to be a complete walk away, but I don't think anybody's going to argue that, Cal Poly is right there with those teams. So I think that they have Central Washington and they have um, Cal, and that's about as tough as – I mean, they play Sac State. They play some other teams. They that play I don't uh, that's S- tough. SD State. Uh, can, can we call that a tough game? Yeah, definitely. I think you yeah. could call it a tough game. But I just – compared to some of these other schedules that are out there, I mean, look at – a couple teams you didn't mention are Davenport and Lindenwood, and we're mm-hmm. finally going to yes. figure out what those guys are about. Um, you know, Davenport is the best team they've ever played is Lindenwood, and they beat them by, um, you know, one score. So we'll see. Lindenwood's playing Arkansas State and Life this year. Davenport's playing Arkansas State and Life this year. So um, we may have seven, you know, and Utah's back on the map. We may have – you know, eight really, really, really good teams. Granted, spread across three divisions, three competitions, three postseasons, but three really, really good teams that could beat each other on any given day. And I think that's actually the case. Um, and I'll throw a little love to him because when I talk to some of the coaches, they haven't quite caught on to this guy yet. Um, even if you were at Sevens Nationals, you you probably were watching the main field, and that wasn't where Lindenwood was playing their games. But True. Morgan Finley is a stud. And if he is not the best fullback in the country, he's number two right behind Madison Hughes. Um, and, and he's right there with Jake Anderson. He's in that ilk. And um, – Hopefully, we find a way to keep this kid in the country and playing rugby um, because he is a really, really good player. So um, just throw him a bone. If you haven't heard his name yet, you should get to know it because he's a fantastic player. But, yeah, we've got some good teams. You College know, rugby is expanding. You know that uh, the, the USA U-20 camp they had on the East Coast, just just half of the players that they were looking at, um, is full of Lindenwood and Davenport players. Uh there are so many of those players are down at that camp, and I think that what 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 that tells me is how strong they are uh, uh, on the younger side, which I'm happy to see. And it's also interesting to see because we've um, Lindenwood probably came under a little bit of 
criticism for uh, relying on some overseas players, but you know, you know, every college relies on some overseas. Not players. just overseas players, but older overseas players that are older, correct? Right, older overseas players. Well, what we've got, what what I'm seeing, Lindenwood is about five or six or seven. American high school kids who are under 20. They're at the under 20 camp. So that that's that's a different profile of the Lindenwood player. Yeah, and Ron Leszewski's done a great job. I mean, the, the biggest haul of his recruiting class was from Colorado Springs, you know, his first year. So Ron's done a good job, you know, getting American guys. He's had to supplement with some foreign guys too. But Morgan Finley, I mean, was living in Canada. He's a Kiwi, but he was living in Canada. Um, he's got another kid that is from Canada, but finished high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, so, so are you saying if you're living in Canada, that's like you're almost almost American? Well, no one's like beating up Texas for having, uh, you know, uh, no, no, the best player be that's Canadian. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's very true. But, um, you know, just, just briefly talking about these U20, uh, these U20 camps, I went through and I was uh, trying to see who all these players are playing for because we just get the list of names so we check them out. And, and it's kind of nice to see a bunch of – not only Arkansas State and, and Life and Cal and Lindenwood and Davenport. We're seeing kids that are, that are going to like Marist and St. Joseph's and we are going to see a concentration at the big colleges. But my point is also how many of them – had high school and youth experience. We aren't just talking about kids who show, show up at uh, as a freshman or or a young sophomore at college, and they picked up. They've been playing the game for about a year. These are kids have been playing the game for four or five or six years. I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of that, in, in, because of Gonzaga and Penn and 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 Jesuit and Xavier and. And a lot of the of the programs in in the U.S. and and I also think you're going to see it. St. Joe's has Sean Duffy coaching, who is doing a good job. He's very he's motivated. He he has a vision to where the program's going to go. I think that the program's going to go somewhere that's that's going to be good. He's getting a lot of people from Xavier and Gonzaga, and, and I believe there's a. I want to say there's a St. Joe's prep in Philly where Matt yes, Miller coaches. That's correct. And um, and Matt Miller was an All American from Penn State, so they have they have a lot of places where they can go. And 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 on top of the fact that there's there's people who have, have been dedicated their time, like Frazier Grigger and Don Farrell at, at, and Terry Ryland over at Penn State, and so like Sean Duffy has like. Doc Jones has been at Kutztown for almost 30 years. Like they, they have people that they can look up to and kind of see what's going on over at Del, you know, Delaware and, and Kutztown and Penn State and Army. And so I think St. Joe's going to be in that in that conversation relatively soon. And, and there's probably going to be a few other schools like it. I think that Pat Fife will do something pretty good with Iona. And uh, Shag Russo, Dan Russo is going to do some pretty good stuff over it at Stony Brook, which he has been doing. But I think that you know that'll improve as he gets more access to people. So it, it's it, there's exciting times for rugby at some of the schools that people may not know, but they have a lot of pretty good players, and and I mean they're not going to set the world on fire, but it's nice that they're going there and they're doing these things and. And and possibly some will set the world on fire. 
and and be contributing players on the U20 team. That would be good. Well, uh, on the college level, we it, it looks like uh, Cal, BYU, Life, Arkansas State, maybe St. Mary's are setting the world on fire and the rest still playing catch up. We're going to be right back here on Rugga Matrix America. Hi, this is Glenn Thomas with the University of Delaware. We'll be competing this June in Philadelphia at the CRCs. Don't miss out. You can check it out at USA7CRC.com. Go Delaware. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, so we're back on Rugby Matrix America where uh, we talked a little bit about college stuff. And I also wanted to talk about the, the club scene because the club scene, like the college scene, has been just sort of turned upside down. Um, Bruce, obviously you've been in the middle of this. You are, uh, repre- you know, you're coaching the one team that did not go from the Super League to D1. Um, and, and I don't want to get into the stuff that makes you angry about it, but uh, your, your New York Athletic Club is playing a, a – an independent schedule, not going for D1 championship, uh, and then playing the Elite Cup later. Um, so far, early on, we've we've seen a few results uh, that indicate, I guess, kind of what we generally expect, which is the good former Super League clubs are certainly way better than almost every D1 club, with a few exceptions. That the struggling Super League clubs such as Dallas Harlequins uh, still are struggling, uh, not struggling in the sense that they're not going to win more D1 games than they lose. It's more that they're not going to be the best team in their league, which I don't think they will be. Um, But we've seen San Francisco Golden Gate beat Puget Sound by 28 and then just destroy everybody else they're seeing. so what? So what happens? What What are we going to see? Are we going to see something in the end that's worth seeing, or are we going to see a bunch of leagues with you know one or two places where it's competitive? Um, it's competitive in the Southern California. I'm excited to see that, although that might be helped a, a little bit by the rain. Um, but it, it's competitive, and Belmont Shore hasn't had their way with everybody. Um, but are, are we just going to see teams just destroy their their league competition and then we just wait for playoff time and playoff time is when it gets interesting? Well, I don't know that it's fair. You made a fair statement in saying that <laughs> the good Super League teams are that much better. So I don't think that that's been, you know, that's been borne out yet. Um, we'll see when NIAC, you know, the AC starts playing teams. But, I mean, Old Puget Sound was in the final last year, and they got pummeled by a team that was, you know, you know kind of a middling in the West last year in the Super League. So um, I don't think that – Well, okay, but I, I would say that's an indication of a, a vast improvement on Golden Gate's part and uh, – <laughs> Um, from their personnel to the fact that um, their attitude. So, sure, but I mean, Old Blue wasn't a bad Super League team last year, were they? I mean, where would you classify them? I don't remember their record, but they lost to Buffalo. Um, the Chicago Lions weren't a bad Super League team when they left, um, and they're not, you know, crushing their league. Um, life is playing in an area where the Division One rugby is just frankly bad. Um, so I don't know. Non-existent. That, 
Yeah. yeah. I don't know that that's the case yet. I, 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 you look at the Denver Barbarians and they're playing in a tough league. I mean, um, they lost to Provo. Uh, well, think- okay, but but I w- I would uh, I guess I'm discounting a lot of those, and maybe uh, maybe I shouldn't be. But um, when, when you're talking about a super league team, and we saw this with uh, um, with the Lions last year. That if you if you move from being a, a club that you're you're peaking or trying to peak in the spring, and then you say, by the way, you're now playing your serious games in the fall, it. I think it takes a while to adjust simply because the players might even not even be available. The Lions are markedly better this year, this fall than they were last fall. I think Denver, you know, they ha- they haven't had to really worry about fall rugby for a while so to go out and, and lose of their best super league players have played at their fall d1 games anyways you know maximo has been a, a, D, a fall d1 guy um i've seen a lot of their super league starters play fall d1 rugby as far as the, the barbos but and the other thing that a lot of none of these super league coaches or ex-super league coaches everyone admit to is the fact that they left the super league and now Players are deciding. Well, I'm not. My club's not Super League. I'll go play with another club. I mean, mm-hmm. Gonzalo Ruiz is doing it in Frisco. Whether whatever the reason is, um, you, you know, Mike McDonald would he if the Super League was existent, would he be with Olympic Club? I don't know, but I I, I hear that the Dallas Harlequins are traveling with, you know, maybe two thirds of what they used to travel with when they were a Super League club. So I think that that's a fact that nobody wants to admit to, and I'm not sure why. It seems to make a lot of sense, but uh, well, think- it, well, it hurts recruiting, but it's no, it's it's true, and definitely Dallas Harlequins do not have the depth they had before. Yeah, I mean... The, I, they're, they're not the only high-level club in the in the state anymore. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the Super League wasn't better than D1 because it was, by and large. Um, but uh, there, there's some competitive games. And, and will it be a Super League Final Four? I, it might be, depending on how the, the brackets are drawn up, which we haven't... We know who's playing who in the round of, you know, in the crossover games and whatnot, but I, we haven't seen which region goes against which region yet. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see Belmont compete with the Super League teams, see Glendale um, compete with the Super League teams, um, and maybe Olympic Club. I, their roster on paper looked really good, but um, I think that some of these teams of Metropolis, um, how they compete, I think that it's really early to make any kind of judgment about the Super League team. They're definitely going to be there in the end. I, Dallas was a weak team. I mean, and and that's the way it is. I think everything got thrown a little bit on its head this season. Uh, I, I think these teams were uh, – look, I'm happy with the schedule we have. Golden Gate is excellent. Golden Gate has a lot of players. They still don't even have Volney Roush yet. And, you know, but they got Danny LaPravat back. Uh, I believe Jason Bowden is back at prop, what I heard. You know, and then uh, Bruce have, Thomas is playing. and They have, and, they have Biller back, which is a big well, one. Yeah, and, and – so when when you take a look at that, I, I was thinking Biller played last year. He played part of it, I guess. Um, you know, you take a look at that; they're pretty good. And when they played Puget Sound, I believe Sarevi played ten. So um, I don't know that that's all that much of a threat. Um, so I, I think that Puget Sound is going to be a lot better when they're playing at full strength. I think that uh, uh, that San Francisco is an excellent team as it is. 
I think that Glendale and Denver having um, having a, a rivalry is 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 important. Obviously, Kansas City has been pretty good, and 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 Provo is basically probably just that Utah team, and maybe some of the guys who graduated. But I think Sean Davies playing for uh, for Glendale, so there's there's some there's some good teams in there. Uh, Old Blue did lose to Buffalo. Um, the Old Blue fall team, comparing that to the Super League team they had last fall is uh, last spring and it's not even remotely close to the same guys but and, and they lost in buffalo in the rain and and, and that could happen I, I know i i would venture to say that that would not have happened to the ac um uh but it certainly could have i guess um i i probably i can't picture any scenario that it could but you know i guess i guess somebody else can um, you know, I, Boston's very good. Life is very good. They have the leading scorer from the AC last year, Nash McGinty. I, I'm looking forward to the Elite Cup. So hopefully we're going to get five games to the quality. And then, you know, our schedule is, I would say, better than anyone else's schedule in this country anyway. We're going to play Army. We're going to play BYU. We're going to play Ontario, who is the uh, Canadian provincial champion. We're going to play the Chicago Griffins. We're going to play um, – our B team is going to play the, the West Point of, of Great Britain. Sandhurst, yes. The, the, the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. So they're just coming in. On the same day we're playing life, our B team is going to play them. So um, – and we're playing life a second time down at life. Then – the semifinal of the Elite Cup, God willing, we're there, is on is on May 11th. There'll be a bye week, and then there's the 25th is the final. God willing, we're there in Glendale. I mean, that's as good of a schedule as anybody's got in this country. That's good. I'm, and I'm you, happy you know, to go that, play that's it. a great. I'd be much happier playing that than going to Buffalo and in, in, in that is February a great schedule. March, that also reminds sure. me that uh, another team that is that is adjusted really well is Boston. Boston has been a very good team, and Boston didn't really miss a beat this uh, this past fall, and that's partly because they always play the fall, and they always play the fall fairly seriously. Well, there's a – they always play the fall. I'm not going to go so far as to say that they play it seriously. They do play it. This year, they, they, did, they did pick up Quill. They did pick up Liam Murphy, and they did pick up Fly Half. So, you know, you had two, two really strong back rowers and a fly half, and then now they have Tim Barford, who played the fall for the AC. So now they picked up a hooker, which was a, Andy McLean has been playing there, but that's a, so, so that, that's a, those are big pickups, and the team was bolstered by people who just happened to be there. But look, I, I think that, I think that the club scene with the Elite Cup, is going to be a little bit jumbled, and, and we'll end this conversation. It was probably a more interesting one after this. It's going to be a little bit jumbled. I think it's going to be difficult for teams to play two-game weekends. I, I don't think that's great for player welfare. Um, I, I do think the Elite Cup games are going to be good. I do think that the Division One games are going to be good. I think that anything can happen. I think that there's going to be a little bit of fallout in terms of the Final Four is going to be played 
when the Eagles are in camp, so they will not be playing in that. So our guy's going to play as hard. That that's going to that's going to affect things a little bit. The Eagles are playing Canada on the day of Elite Cup final, but I think that that's going to be an A game because Canada and and the U.S. are going to be playing qualifiers. Well. No, that's one of the reasons. The other reason is it's not in the test window, so it officially can't be a test match. Well, I mean, in the event that there's a a test match, most, if not all, the teams would release their players. Uh, You know, we would. We don't have a problem with it. I've already spoken to Mike about it. But uh, but that, you know, I'm, I'm not thrilled with USA Rugby for scheduling the game. It wasn't for lack of asking when these games were um you know and this is the sixth or seventh year in a row this has happened so um, it's been happening since 2006 or seven or whenever whenever they uh you know whenever we started asking and and they started giving us five different answers so you know hopefully we can we can sort a few things out but i don't see this as an ideal situation i i i don't see what we're doing is perfect I don't see what the plan is going forward as as even viable, but we'll see how it plays out this season and see what teams want to do. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it should be interesting, but it, like it, you know, there's a lot of good teams out there, and I wish everybody well, and then we'll see what happens. Well, it'd be, it would be nice to see uh, one of the D1 teams that is not one of those that we we think of either would have been Super League caliber, like we were talking about Glendale, or Belmont Shore, which used to be in the Super League and won Super League titles. It'd be nice to see one of those other D1 clubs come through and maybe surprise us, do sort of a Cinderella run. Um, I I, I would be excited about that. I wouldn't be surprised if Metropolis was able to pull that off. There you go. I wouldn't be... be, uh, That would be the team that I would look at is... They've got they've got a ton of young talent, a ton. Oh, they have the spearhead academy. Yeah. If anyone would do it, it'd be them. I, I would consider Belmont relatively a Super League team, who just happens not to be in the Super League, and maybe Kansas City. But Kansas City was one at once. Who knows? Interesting. Kansas City's going to have to have a, a a big recruiting class like they did last year. I mean, they were a good team in the fall. They went out, they brought over kind of the spine of their team from overseas, and then were a pretty darn good team in the spring. So we'll see if they bring in a prop, an eight-man, and, and some of the other guns that they did over the winter. But they're not the only one to employ that tactic. But if they do, they've got the core to, to be pretty good again. Any other team that I think they – I think Glendale's gonna make a, probably gonna make a pretty good run because I, I think it kind of suits them to go for it and it's at home. I mean, going for a home home final when there's no cost share, that's amazing. And it's free. There's something to be said for a free final, believe me. James Aldridge is on their SIP roster. I've never seen a guy play 15s, but it might be pretty fun. Doesn't matter. They could put him on the wing. I think he'd be fine. They've got, they they do get. They have a lot of players. It's a, it is a, it's you know it's a popular place to be, and that's great. Uh, we'll we'll see how they all work together. But if they work together at all, uh, they will be a formidable team. We also want to see some other competitions come up. We're going to talk about that when we come back on Rugger Matrix America. 
Hey everybody, this is Alex Goff from Rugby Matrix America and RugbyMag.com and we all know it takes grit and determination just to get to the edge of a rugby pitch and it takes even more courage drive and passion to lock arms with your teammates and rise to the challenge and play in a game at Lauer Family Wines. They know that too. They have a passion for rugby and a passion for wine and that passion collides in their Hooker Wines line from Napa Valley. Steeped in the tradition, teamwork and heroism of the game and their drive inspires them to create wines that honor those who chase their passions in rugby and elsewhere in life. Get in the match and buy Hooker Wines online at hookerwines.com. All right, we're back on Rugged Matrix America. We were talking about uh, college stuff. We were talking about club stuff. We we touched a little bit on the national team. But there's something that I know we all wanted to talk about a little bit um, that's, that's not going on and hasn't been going on for some time. In fact, since 2007. And it's it's something we've written about quite a bit on uh, RugbyMag.com. And the former editor of Rugby Magazine, uh, Ed Haggerty, is one who is massively in supportive of this. Uh, it's a the National All-Star Championship, the, what we used to call the ITTs, uh, discontinued in 2007 with the idea was, um, as I understood it at the time, that it was going to be replaced with a different, more streamlined, easier to schedule, better competition. It never was. We never saw the resources assigned to it. Um, you ask every national team coach. He always said he wanted it back. Uh, you talk to uh, Nigel Melville. He says he wants to see something like it, although in a different form. Um, Bruce, you you know the players. You've you've played in select side rugby. You know this uh, situation. But but when uh, just I'll, I'll, you tell me if I'm wrong here. But one of the problems with the All Star Championships was its its timing, and especially for the the regions that weren't playing in the fall. Uh, they the, those players didn't feel that they were ready. There were an awful lot of players who just couldn't. On the on the weekend after Thanksgiving or the weekend after that, they couldn't get away to go play in it, and it became less of a competition for the best players from a territory than it was a competition for the best players from a territory who could afford to go or had the time to go. It'd be more it had the time to go. Um, the ITTs had been discontinued in the past as well. It had gotten discontinued from 93 to 97. I didn't have a 94, 95, 96. And I, it, re, it came back in 97. So it, it's, it's not unusual. It used to be on Memorial Day weekend um, back in the 90s. <clears throat> then it changed to December. Uh, and I, neither one of them is, is probably fully ideal. Um, I... I don't know what the best date is, and and you're right. It was it was about the time of, it, it was a it was about the best players who could. It depended on your region whether you could afford to go or had the time to go. Northeast didn't have to pay to go, but nobody cared and didn't want to go anyway. So uh, <laughs> they didn't. They, you know they, yeah. they like playing for the Med Union, and that was it. And the guys who like playing for New England like playing for them, and they didn't want to be on the Eagles, and so they didn't really care about going. For the most part. That was us, though. That, that wasn't everybody else. <clears throat> and so now, I, you know, I spoke to Mike. We talked about what would work. And and we actually talked about the ITTs. And 
he said he would like to see it back um, and that it would be good. And we talked about different times that he could have it. There's difficulty in the timing of it in that he wants to have an elite player camp in February. So you'd want to have it prior to that so you can at least identify your domestic elite players. He would like to have a – he wants to have the ARC, so you're going to have to – that's going to be played in October. Then there's the, the test window in in November. Then there's the test window in June, May and June, and it's a longer window now. So looking at it, what what really fits? It probably would be late August where you wouldn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for it, but you can you can get a couple days together where you can train and, and try to organize a teams. You can play in late August. That would allow having the college guys play with the men. That would allow integration of the of the different teams. It would allow an opportunity to select people for or at least consider people for the ARC in October and allow people the, the chance to try to make <clears throat> arrangements around it um, then or even make the full national team in November. And then to if, if, if in any event that none of that was even able to be had, you can give them a six, a five or six month lead in to what would be expected of them and what and what training program and skills program they can go on in order to be prepared to be in an elite player camp in or top 50 camp in February and then have kind of a plan for these guys and be able to track them. And I was speaking to Alex earlier today about it and he was like, well, what about all the different guys and the rules? And he probably would want it to be made for domestic players or um, domestic people who are eligible to play for the Eagles only. Um, you go so well, what, that was okay. Th- that prompted me partly because, you know, wh- why should you have the national all-star championship? Um, the, the reason that it was pursued back in the eighties, you talk to people who played that it, it did seem to matter to them to make a local select side work their way toward uh, an LAU select side up to a territorial side because there were only four territories at the time. You you felt that you had accomplished something. To to play in the National All-Star Championships was a big deal. From an identification standpoint, the reality is whoever's doing the selecting, they're looking at two or three guys a team. They know who everybody is. They essentially are looking at two or three guys a team. So okay, so, so, so let, you you say that I disagree. I disagree with that. You you look at someone like John Vandergeesen. John Vandergeesen would never have been picked for the Eagles were it not for the All Star Championship. Same with Mike Mangan, uh, who played lock for the Eagles back uh, two thousand six. Um, those guys were playing for little known teams. They were they went to colleges that weren't very good. They hooked on with clubs that were little known, and then they were identified. Oh, in fact, John Vandergeesen went overseas. Nobody really heard of him as he bummed around overseas. Then he came back, and he he wasn't seen until he was in the All Star Championships. Now, now I realize I I can I can name some of these guys, and I could probably name four or five, and be, it is a rare thing. But but even someone like uh, 
Paul Emmerich on the the collegiate side would possibly never been seen were it not for the the collegiate national all star championships. He was, he was he was at Northern Iowa. Who was paying attention to Northern Iowa even when they were good? Um, what? What other avenue is there for the guy who's in Wisconsin playing D2 rugby for a team that's pretty okay, but he's actually pretty damn good, and if he were taken care of and and nurtured, he might be great. I think in an ideal world, Alex, you are right that there would be that pathway that wouldn't otherwise not exist, but personally, I – don't trust the select side system in the way that it's worked here. It's just another extension of the old boy system. The guys that, you know, if you know a certain coach, he's going to get a couple players on your team. I've seen too many, um, you know, I've been to the All-American camp and seen guys who didn't belong there that were there because they have a prominent coach who's well-known in the old, old boy network system. Guys that I saw down in Houston last year who wouldn't have belonged um, on, you know, an all-conference team in a Division One AA conference in the middle of the country. I've seen guys who are some of the best players, best athletes slash best players um, in an area not show up to college all-stars because they just don't care. I just don't put a lot of stock. I don't have faith in um, the network and the coaches and in the people that actually run the teams to look at a team objectively, pick it objectively. And, I mean, Carlin Isles. If it weren't for a couple injuries, Carlin Isles wouldn't even have been on the West All-Star 7s team. Kyle Hitt never made an All-American camp. You can't tell me that he's not an All-American talent um, as a guy now who's just a couple years moved out of college. Why? Probably because he played for Division II Northern Colorado instead of Wyoming. And he played for, like, say, Wyoming and Rich Cortez was his coach or Arizona and Dave Sitton was his coach. Kyle Hitt probably makes an All-American camp. I just don't. I don't put much faith in it, but I think in an ideal world, you're right. Uh, it would work, but this isn't an but, ideal but world. It's, but it's not. I, I, I want to. Yes. Can I answer? Yes. I get what you're saying, Pat, and I think that when you're talking about an all-American selection, then it gets highly political. But the ITTs aren't having an all-ITTs team or an all-star championship team. They're not having an all-tournament team. For there, they're looking to identify two or three eagles, and that just really comes out of the. Uh, the coaching staff. Now, Alex, as you said, uh, Vandergeesen, yeah, he, he was maybe unknown, but he wasn't completely unknown. You had written articles about him when he was down at Hawks Bay prior to him coming back and becoming on the Eagles. Uh, you had written articles about Nick Johnson. So it <clears throat> these people were not unknown, <clears throat> unknown quantities or unknown entities. You could they, they kind of knew who everyone was. Paul Emmerich was from Iowa, and, and fortunately Billups was also from Iowa, so kind of knew him, and or, or at least knew of him, and his, or and 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 was able to pluck him out. That's gonna happen. So, but in the game, you're the coach who's coaching the select side team, and 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 ideally they're good guys who are decent people. Maybe they're not, but for the most part, the guys who dedicate their time for nothing tend to be decent guys who want to win and do the right thing. And they tend to be older and not really have that much of an ego at stake there. And maybe they do, who knows? <clears throat> but I would, I would venture to say that when you go, you have a meeting with the coaching staff or, you know, whatever the Eagle, whatever Eagle selectors are there. And they say, well, who are your best guys? Who we, who should we be looking at? And you tell them and then they look at them. And if somebody blows your mind or they may say, we like this, this guy. And you say, well, Hey, look, take a look at him. He's really good, but he may have an attitude problem. 
He may have an injury. It could be a lot of different things. He may have a family. He may just not be able to do it or may not be interested. He just happens to be on your team. Doesn't mean he's interested in being an eagle. So there's a lot of factors that go on. But I can't imagine really looking at a game, any game in America, no matter what it is, you can't be looking at more than two or three guys who could possibly make the Eagles. And in that, any that, that 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 is true, and that's all I really meant by that, it. No, that, that's that's fine. I just and that's kind of how it goes down. I I, I the the reason. You you do. Uh, I want to go back to what I was saying earlier. I mean, the the reason you do the All Star Championships, one of the reasons is because there's a cachet in being that territorial All Star, and you get to play. But I don't think that's the reason to have it now. I think that might have been the reason, but it's not the reason to have it now. The reason to have it now is to identify players on the national team, and as you say, it's not the only thing that's done. You don't generally. It, it might happen, but you don't generally just show up in the middle of no, out of the middle of nowhere, um, and somebody says, "I've got to have him on our national rugby team." You will be known at least, if nothing else, you got to do some work. If you are playing in, you know, in in a in a on a small club somewhere in a you know in an area where you're you're not making like in the Midwest where they have tons of Division two two teams and there's got to be some good players on those division two teams on a team that doesn't make the playoffs doesn't get looked at um that that's when you got to make some film and you got to send it into the national team and you got to say um you know i i want to i want to do this and i'm i'm committed and i'm i'm ready to do it i just don't you know right now i've got a job here and i'm i'm not moving unless i you know get a shot and then then maybe that's when the national team coach talks to whoever's coaching these all-star teams and says, I'd like to see so-and-so on the team, or at least least like to see him come out. We we need to have that kind of thing, that kind of discussion. I I, I do think that happens. And and we had spoken earlier today about, look, it's not the 80s when you didn't know anything about anyone except for what Ed wrote in Rugby Magazine. And you found out about it weeks and months later, and you didn't know anything. Now, there's video all over the internet. You guys write articles every single day. I mean, if there's a guy who's a great athlete playing Division II rugby in the outskirts of Milwaukee, I promise you that if he wanted to or his coach or anybody had aspirations to do anything, they can call you. Have his video put up if it's worthwhile. You need content. You're into interesting stories. It's almost like you can't hide. I I, I would say that – and I know that we look for talent identification. I would almost go into we need a talent optimization program. Like when you see talented players, you can't hide it. You don't hide talent. Talent is more difficult to hide than find. When somebody's a special athlete, you see it. I mean, you go to the under-12 soccer game and you watch the game, you know who the best guy is. You don't even have to know anything about soccer. You go to the basketball game at a local high school, you know who the best guy is. You don't have to know anything about basketball to know who the best guy is. Easy. You can, And especially if someone is an outlier, a national team caliber player, <clears throat> 
You could tell. So in the context of a national all-star championship, maybe that's what that's the role that the coaches have to to have is about talent optimization and not about what we used to have, which was going and winning the national all-star championship. Um, you talk about, you know, there, there weren't egos involved. I think there were some egos involved, some pretty, pretty big egos for, for a few people who wanted, who wanted to win and winning was, you know, that's why you should be there. But if, if this is a talent, identification tournament if this is a, a a way of finding players for the national team that's a little bit different because maybe you make a decision you know maybe you pick a 22 year old who has the potential rather than the uh 37 year old who you know what you're going to get um and i and i remember i remember what, what did, what, i remember i remember, I remember being I remember being at the NA4 in 2008 and talking with Scott Lavala, who was not playing in it, but came to watch. And he was walking somewhere else, and a bunch of people were circling around Scott Johnson, national team coach at the time. And they pointed to him and said, that's the guy you want. That guy has a tremendous uh, potential. And he turned around and said, then why the hell isn't he playing today? And I said, no, they'd, they'd, pick, they'd pick a longtime club guy. Well, I think that when you look at it, it it would be and and hey, why wasn't he playing? I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna say that, you know, Bill Parcell said, "Boy, your potential is gonna get me fired," and and that's true in a lot of cases. Right, but these aren't professional. Now, these these are people. These are these are your talent optimization legion that you've mentioned before. Going out and getting the talent and putting them in a game situation so the national team coach can find them. That's not no, the NFL I, I understand. At all costs. I understand it. And it's not it's not the role of a select side program <clears throat> to optimize the talent. Unless that's a that's a regional thing that they're looking to do, which they should, but <clears throat> take that for another day. The the role of select side play, especially if you're going to do it over the course of a weekend and, and not over the course of a couple games in a, in a select side season, the role of it is really to have a bit of camaraderie, <clears throat> a bit of competition to get yourself onto the team and bring back some of the, the inter-club camaraderie that used to be there. It just isn't there anymore. And... And then, yes, and in turn identify maybe, you know, you probably would identify out of a whole tournament of, say, you had eight teams or six teams or four teams or whatever. You would probably identify five guys that you didn't know or you really didn't have on your radar screen, which would be great. It's a lot of money to identify five guys. Yeah, it is. That's an awful lot of effort to to get. that's That's a lot of. That's a lot of energy to put into getting five guys, three of them who may get injured and the other two who may not want to play. So there's a or, – or want to put in the commitment. The thing is, like I said, I'm a big believer in talent optimization, and I think that that is a place where USA Rugby has been completely remiss. Um, I don't know who the head of coach development is. 
there hasn't been a damn good thing in coach development in years. All right. Well, okay. okay so, so um, Pat Clifton, you've been Pat Clifton. You've been very, very quiet. Um, you know, uh, All Star Championship. Does does it, that float your boat at all? Not really. And the other thing, you have to. Who's going to fund it? I mean, it, USA Rugby shouldn't fund it on their own dime. It's you know they've got too many other things they need to spend their money on uh, to be funding it. And with the change in landscape, uh, I don't see. Uh, GU's funding it and I don't see um, like I said I don't trust it so I don't see the value in it in terms of a player selection standpoint I think the reason it looks so sexy now is because of what the South has done but the South is in a unique position it's not like you know if if it was viable for the Northeast to play Spain and uh, you know Iceland and Greenland, they'd probably put a select side together to do it. Um, the South's in a situation where they can play in the NACA championship. Um, and that's really, really cool. But I think they're in a spot where it works and they could create some South pride. But I don't think that there are any other spots in the country where it's not not just worthwhile, but um, where it's even viable to do. So, And even at that South, I think it's worth noting here the considerable cost. The South, while they're the, the, the – um, the union is footing a lot of money. I mean, you're looking for all of these games. They're talking about having to go to Jamaica, about Bermuda, about all these different places. You're talking Bahamas. You're talking like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a game. God forbid they keep winning. We get they got five games. <laughs> the next four, all of them are international flights. I mean, it could cost you five thousand, six thousand dollars a year if you wanted to play in all the USA Rugby South NACRA Championship games. So that that that's kind of uh, a little bit over the top almost but uh you know i i I would disagree in the end um maybe i get the last word but uh i would disagree i I think that there are players who are hidden and i think that i look in the bay area i look in utah i look at the the players who do not who are 19 20 21 and are not going to college and don't know uh, they don't know from uh, pushing for, you know, a, a national under twenty team or anything like that. I think that there is a place for somebody, some kind of coach in a certain region, to go and look for players and gather, be the eyes and ears of the national team coach and start to bring together players so that we can see them outside of the club structure and outside of the college structure. The, but, and Bruce, you said it, and Pat, you said it, who pays for it? And, I don't, and we, I, don't, we don't have a territorial structure that levies dues on, on members of territory to partially pay for. And remember, those those teams were partially paid for, except a couple of them might, might have had a bigger due structure, but most of them partially paid for. We don't have a structure for that, so who pays for it? The North, I, hold on, Bruce, just real quick. Off what you just said, I, I am 100% agree with you that there are hidden players, no doubt in my mind, but I just don't trust an IGT system to pull them out is all. And the other thing that I think that um, should be looked at is sevens is the best way, period, to identify non-type five talent. And I'm a firm believer in that. So if you are a non-type five player who has the talent to play the national team, you ought to be playing every summer for as elite a sevens club as you can find. And that's the great thing about sevens is since not that many clubs take it seriously, you can play for – 
you know, in my town, you can go play sevens with the Kansas City Blues and your club's not going to think less of you for it. Whereas if you change it in 15s, they might. And if you're a tight five talent, chances are you look you looked the part and somebody's probably going to see you somewhere along the line. So you're going to get caught that way. That's a good point. Um, I the, the unions have money. They <clears throat> USA Rugby. There are no unions. The Pacific oh, Coast it doesn't exist. Oh, whatever they are. Yeah, I mean it's just they unions. They just they rename the same crap. Um, you know, I mean it, this is you know this is putting mascara on a monkey. Um, <laughs> the uh, the the. The unions always paid for it. At least for the Northeast, they paid for it. And, you know, it didn't cost, I think it cost 50 bucks to buy beer. So that's what we used to use it for. <laughs> we buy beer. Um, and then tape. Uh, but they got paid for pretty much. And then um, some of the other unions didn't. But now, I, I think most of the unions or whatever they're in now, whatever they want to call them, they you have to pay forty five dollars SIP to your your league, but then you got to pay another forty five dollars SIP. Like for the Northeast, you got to pay forty five dollars SIP to USA Rugby, and then another forty five that USA Rugby collects for the Northeast. So the Northeast charges club dues, then they charge an individual dues on it, and then they don't let you play in the league. Got to use it, yeah. Then but I'm just. So I'm just saying that the money's there. I mean, if there's a hundred thousand people paying an extra forty-five bucks, that's four hundred fifty thousand dollars. What are they spending it on? It really only the only reason they ever collected the money, the only reason they ever even had the unions to start with, was to have a select side. That was it. Yeah. That's why there was an ERU. That's why there was a Northeast. Wasn't for it wasn't for any club reason or anything like that. It was to have a select side, and we don't have and and and, and, we're, have, and, we're, and we're, we're paid for. And we'll finish it up there. But we we don't have a uh, we don't have a national all star championships in college and in senior men, uh, or even in high school for that matter. Um, uh, but as you said, territories came into existence just for that reason. Uh, great point. And I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, we had, uh, uh, we, we covered a little bit on college. We covered a little bit on club and on all-star championships. We'll be checking in on the national sevens team next time. And we want to thank you for listening and don't forget to check out the rest of rugbymag.com uh, uh, on the website and also have a look at our new magazine app for iPad and iPhone where you can download and subscribe to our digital magazine. You can also get our digital magazine uh, by being a premier subscriber on rugbymag.com. And you can also check out iTunes to download Rugga Matrix America and Rugga Matrix International, not only the current show, but the past shows as well. I don't think we've really worked out how to download the future shows, but we're still working on that. Uh, but we want to thank you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. Yeah.